Welcome back to another edition of the Wolverine.com podcast. This is our TV version with Doug Skeen, Michigan's All-Big Ten offensive lineman. And Skeen, it's Maryland week, and uh, that generally doesn't mean a whole heck of a lot. But when it comes before Ohio State, then everybody talks about trap games and everybody's thinking about it. And I go back to when you guys played, and I think about an Illinois game that clinched the Rose Bowl for you, and there was no celebration after it. You tell me why. No, we tied. It was a, yes, it you was did. a total buzz game. Yeah, it was a tie game, and we had clinched the Big Ten championship and all, all those things we wanted to do, but we did not play very well that day. Uh, I think we turned the ball over like four or five times, and we had like 400 yards of rushing. We fumbled, I think there was like four. I know there were four turnovers, but I think the ball got put on the ground that day nine times. And I we think you fumbled for like four, We rushed for like 400 yards and tied, like 22-22. Peter Lezovic. Hit the big field goal there late in the game to secure the tie, but yeah, that was disappointing. It was a great kick. I got to be honest because they lost. I think, and for a second, Gary Moeller was thinking about going for it on like fourth and eighteen, and because nobody wants to tie. Let's be honest. Now, if you're playing for overtime, it's a no-brainer, but that's not how you want to do it. And you had three ties that year. Now, if the overtime rules were in effect, now you kick it and you go on and you probably win that game. But I remember that it was a cold day. There was some snow in the air. I think you, I think you fumbled twice. And uh, just about about everybody fumbled at least once. And Tyrone Wheatley, I think, had a pretty tough day in that respect. However, uh, he was one of the reasons that you were there. And uh, But when you talk about trap games, this is a real thing, isn't it, when it comes to the minds of 18 to 22-year-old kids who are thinking, okay, all we got to do is beat Ohio State next week, and we're going to the Rose Bowl, or we're going to the championship. Or now, in this case, the Big Ten championship game. Now, here you are. You got Maryland who can throw it a little bit. You're going on the road for the second straight week. Is this a dangerous game? It always is, Ballas. And let's go back, what, is it, was it a year ago, two years ago? I can't remember. Ohio State at Maryland. Yeah. The week before we played them, they they barely escaped with a the victory there, if not for a dropped uh, pass. It just went, went off the ting- fingertips of that Maryland receiver. Yeah. These guys, they, they are young men. They read everything that's out there about them. Everybody's telling them you're going to walk through this Maryland game. Uh, of course, I'm sure Jim Harbaugh and his staff are not saying those things and trying to impose the idea of the urgency of this game. Um, but it can be, if uh, if the wrong mindset is going into this game, it can be an absolute problem. Yeah. And uh, the one thing that gives me pause in saying, okay, this is a trap game and they're not going to be thinking about it, is what I've seen from this quarterback. And okay, this kid's limited, and I get it. And in fact, my own words were, he looks like one of those old Northwestern quarterbacks that's going to win a lot of games for you, probably isn't going to win a championship, is going to move you, is not going to be the sexy guy that's going to throw, you know, a laser, you know, 70 yards on his knees like Joe Milton was doing in practices. I remember, by the way, I tweeted that, and people were pissed off at me. I was just making an observation, people. I wasn't saying that this kid is going to go out there and light it up. But he would throw 70 yards on his knee, in warmups and you're thinking, and I can see why people would get enamored with that. Right. And look at him and say, Ooh, that's the next big thing. But when you're talking about a quarterback, you're talking about intangibles and you're talking about guys rallying behind you. And it's like Josh Gaddis, Michigan's offensive coordinator said today, he said, he's got a way of bringing these guys up and challenging them, not yelling at them, but if you, if he expects more from you, then he's telling you and saying, Hey man, this is what we need to do. That leadership, in my opinion, and guys like Hutch on the other side, Aiden Hutchinson, uh, to me, I don't see this team letting down because of that type of leadership. I don't either, and and 
I don't know ballast. You know, the guy that can throw 70 yards from his knees, that's an awesome skill. It's it's all to watch. But isn't that kind of like watching a guy who can hit the ball 300 yards off the tee but can't hit an iron shot or putt to save his life? It's not all that impressive when you look at the yeah. bigger picture. Of, um, I'm not saying that anybody on this podcast has those kind of golf skills because clearly that may not be the case. Um, 260. <laughs> Yeah. Hey, but, I know who you're talking no, but about. Nonetheless, you but nonetheless, you you know, know? The, the, <laughs> <laughs> nonetheless, you get the point, right? It's it's yes. It's you know the fact that that, that McNamara can't maybe can't throw the ball 70 yards from his knees. Who cares? Because it's much more than that. Playing that position, just as it is in a golf course, it's much more than being able to hit a fairway 300 yards. Who cares if you can't finish the deal? And so McNamara, time and time again, has shown that some of the other skills that aren't so aren't so uh, sexy or, or big are, are nonetheless, they're still critical. And so we've saw just like demonstrated last week, the little, the little shallow passes underneath, you have to be really, really accurate at, at getting those footballs to those guys as they streak across the middle so that they don't have to slow down or make an awkward catch, which throws them out of stride and maybe gets them killed when someone comes up and in, in pass support to, to lay a lick on them. You got to give your guys a chance and he does that. Uh, the little touch pass out of the backfield with someone in his face, the little tough, the little soft looper that he threw to Eric All down there in the in the end zone there, going into the end zone for Penn State. Um, these little these little tiny differences, I think, make big differences. The sideline stuff is great, and it's an important part of it as well. When he's on the sideline, he's talking to that offensive staff over there and, and his teammates. That's great, but when when he gets on the field. And he demonstrates the ability to do these things and all the variables that need to be done. That's what makes all that sideline talk more credible. And people see you go out and do it. And then you come to the sideline. And when you do have to ask somebody in that huddle to give a little bit more and do a little bit better, you feel more compelled and obligated to do so because he's out there making plays. And the more guys that are making plays creates a, a higher expectation for everybody else on the offense to make plays. And it works the same. Over on the defense, you got Hutch and Ajabo making plays, causing disruptions. These guys are all super competitors. They're all alpha dogs. They all want to be the best out there. They're competing against each other to make the next big play. And when you get the whole team doing that, now you got a chance to win a championship. Yep. And uh, you probably haven't seen the sideline video with Molly McGrath, the sideline reporter, and Kate McNamara, have you? After the game? I I don't think I saw it. You know why? Because you're not on Twitter anymore, because you had the audacity to say maybe Bo Schembechler isn't the devil, and I uh, got some flack for that. By the way, I think today's the 15-year anniversary of his death, uh, and I remember talking to you about that. We'll talk about that in a minute, but we'll come back to that. But uh, on Twitter, there was Molly McGrath posted a video of Cade McNamara talking about how much this win against Penn State meant to him, and he's tearing up talking about Andrew Vistardis and everything he's been through and what his body has been through and some of the other guys who failed to get those big road wins, and they finally got one. And this kid, you can see the emotion. I'm getting choked up just thinking about it. But what does that mean to a lineman when your quarterback and your leader is talking like that, and you see that you want to go to war for this guy? You would be willing to go to war with this guy, wouldn't you? I've said it before. There's a, there's a difference between blocking for a quarterback who's got all the skills and talent there is and throws lasers and scores touchdowns but maybe isn't the greatest of guys. There's not a, there's not a personal connection. 
You can win. You can win with those guys. When you play for a quarterback who clearly cares, who demonstrate that he demonstrates that he cares, and he shows that love for his teammates and it matters to him, then you will do anything to keep people off of him and keep him safe. That is your guy back there. He's your leader. And so it does make a difference. And, and I did not see the interview with, with, uh, with McGrath and, and, and McNamara, but um, I'm glad he mentioned Vistardis. You know, that kid's had a hell of a year. I still maintain he's all Big Ten center. He's yep. made some incredible blocks and taken his game to a level this year that I quite frankly didn't know he had. And so that's really cool that he recognized him and all those guys up front. They've been battling injuries from the beginning of the year. Zinter there at right guard, played half the year with his hand, his right hand in a, in a cast. I can't tell people and explain to people how hard it is to play offensive line in the first place because it's unnatural for people to move around the way you're asked to move around up there. But basically to do it without the ability to grasp somebody with your right hand, um, well, that's incredibly difficult. And, and you know, you got uh, other guys in that line playing beat up. And they're going through the aches and pains and, and, and everything else. And, and Keegan at left guard with the shoulder thing. And it's just, they've had a heck of a year, Ballas. And they got into this point, And clearly we can tell now it's another piece of evidence from McNamara. Care for each other. You can see it on the field. And this is the magic sauce. This is the magic potion that makes the difference to compete for championships rather than go nine and three and go to a bowl game that everybody's going to forget about in two years or less. Anyway, these are the kind of teams that will burn in our memories if they can finish this deal. People don't realize it. And you look at a kid like Xavier Worthy, for example, at Texas, and everybody's like, this is the kind of guy that we need to get over the top. And for people who lived it, and I lived vicariously through you, obviously. Unnatural, by the way, is the perfect word to describe it. An offensive lineman, you nailed it. Uh, I've been searching for that right word for years. But, uh, but you guys, when you were out there and you could sense it and you could feel it, you know, what's the difference? Sure, you've got a Desmond Howard that's going to make the difference in a game like Notre Dame, right? And sure, you've got Tyrone Wheatley. But I can go back to 1985 when you had a defense with a bunch of no-names, guys that were good players, and there were some All-Americans on it, but they weren't pros. But guess what? Those guys played so well together and had that, what you call chemistry, teamwork, everything. You know, everything that everybody says is hokey and doesn't matter, the chemistry. And you could sense every day that they went out there that they were playing for one another and that matters. And those are the things that make the difference. So my big thing uh, with this game coming up skiing, and we're going to get back to Bo here in a second is okay. Uh, we know that Maryland can move the ball uh, through the air, right? Uh, we know that the Michigan offense is, is predicated on running the ball. So basically you're just doing what you do, right? I mean, you, you run Hassan Haskins and people are talking about, Oh, you can't, you know, you got to save him for Ohio state. There's no saving anybody this time of year. Is there, you go out there and uh, give the kid 30 carries and let him go. You let him go. That's who he is at this point. And there's no slowing him down. You, you know, it's not like we've seen him uh, um, falling back in his performance or declining in his performance here late in the season. In fact, he's doing quite the opposite. He's accelerating into the end of the season, which is what you have to do to compete for a big 10 title. He's doing exactly that. So nothing changes Saturday at Maryland. You run the football, you pull your guards, you bring the tight ends in there, you block linebackers just as you've been doing all year long. And then you run a play action off of that and you throw it to Eric all who runs for a first down or more and you get that ball where it belongs, et cetera, nothing changes with your identity at this point. There's no magical, uh, you know, throwing a curveball in a game like this. So 
think the same guys will play. They'll, they'll play the appropriate reps, and barring a blowout, they'll play the whole game. And to do otherwise would throw them out of a rhythm and out of a frequency and the cadence that they're used to at this point. These guys, I guarantee you, Ballas, these guys don't want to slow down. They don't want They want to keep in the tune and the path that they are on because that pathway is headed exactly where they want to be. Aiden Hutchinson, um, obviously Chris was your teammate, and I, I think Josh Gaddis called him today the best player in college football. I don't know that that's a stretch, to be honest with you, the way that he's been playing this year. Uh, did you guys get away with as much holding back then as they get away with now? Because I'm looking at this kid, and I was watching the film again last night of that Penn State game scheme and the Michigan State game. It's criminal what that kid has had to put up with, and I don't understand it. I don't understand when it changed, and is it to equalize the game, or what is it? Because literally there could be 15 times a game when they are called for holding. Is it just one of those things where, oh, well, we can't call it every time, or what's going on? Yeah, I, I, they can't call it every time. And, and you, what happens now when you see in college football, and I would say it's not a whole lot different than we, when we played okay. all those years ago. Only the worst of calls get thrown. In a, and for a lineman, when you're blocking a guy like Hutch, as long as you keep your hands inside the framework of his chest, inside the armpits, and you keep your body in front of him, and your arms aren't extended way out, you're, you're not going to get called for holding. And Hutch knows that. He's just got to battle through it, and you got to get the guy's hands off of you, and you're going to get held. That's just the way it goes. Um, but where he's been able to make up, and a job was the same thing, is getting a guy out of position where his hands maybe are outside, or it looks bad where his hands are extended, and you're, and you're literally tackling the dude. Um, that's where he can make a difference and has made a difference because uh, linemen are going to use their hands as far as the officials will let them. And in most cases, it's it's to a degree that makes us fans look at the field and go, oh, my God, he's holding, he's holding. You know, by the letter of the rule and the demonstration that's in the rule book, probably, but you're not going to get that call unless you're almost tackling the dude. So, But Hutch at the same time, and Ajabo is the same way, they've created a reputation. And, and these officials know that these guys, you know, they'll, they'll never say it out loud, but they know who the players are out there. I mean, these officials yeah. are there's no one closer to the game than them. They know this kid's a stud coming off the edge. Does that get him a little more respect, get him a little more attention? Maybe. Depends on the officiating crew. Um, but he's not going to get calls unless it's bad. Yeah, and but there were some terrible ones. There was one where the guy reaches out where he beats him. He reaches out with his right hand and grabs him by the plate, you know, on the mm -hmm. shoulder pads. And I'm like, man, how do you not call that? Upshaw was chasing a guy, and he gets grabbed. He's running, and you can see the head snap back. And, of course, you try to sell it if you're a defensive lineman, too, and that probably pissed you guys off as, as linemen. But you know what? When it happens right in front of the official, man, you think, okay, come on, man, make a call here. Yeah, and, and, and listen, every Big every Big Ten coach every week can send in film clips to the Big Ten and say, you yeah. know, explain me. And then, you know, before the game, every head coach is going to have a chat with the official crew, and they're going to – and Jim Harbaugh is going to tell that official and his, his crew – I want you to watch the holding on my two defensive ends today because yeah. this has been going on and you can have a chat and I don't know how long it's going to go or how far it's going to go. And, but uh, clearly that's been happening. And so, and then and you just hope for the best. I mean, the officials are going to be who they are and, and they'll set the standard hopefully early in the game. And as long as they call it both ways, us fans will get to deal with it. But I, I know the play you're talking about with Upshaw, that should have been absolutely yeah. should have been a hold. You cannot yeah. get your hands outside the framework of your body and impede a defender from getting in your backfield. That's holding. And so, you know, it drives me nuts as much as it drives Jim Harbaugh nuts and the players themselves. Uh, but it, I don't think it's anything new that's in college football. It's just, you know, just part of the deal. Yeah.
Yeah, I remember asking Lloyd Carr about it in 2005 after the Michigan State game when it was just, I mean, but it is what it is. And the problem is, is when you've got those elite players, uh, that can be an equalizer in a game when the other team doesn't have your talent. And we've seen it. Yeah. Uh, and it is what it is. But you got to fight through it. You got to not make excuses, right? Um, yep. Now, I wanted to talk to you a little bit about this alleged 10-year, 10, 10 $9.5 million per year, $95 million contract extension for Mel Tucker at Michigan State. And uh, and I'm looking at this, and I'm thinking, you got to be kidding me. You know, boy, they, they sure do love to beat Michigan. But, you know, to be able to do what he's done, and I give him credit this year, uh, I look at first and second years for a lot of different coaches. Uh, I go back to Bobby Williams from Michigan State. I look at Brady Hoke at Michigan. I look at guys that have had great starts, maybe with other teams' players, maybe you raid the transfer portal, whatever it is. Uh, to me, there's not a big enough body of work there to justify that. And uh, and you wonder if there will be buyer's remorse or maybe he'll continue to do what he's doing. But that, to me, doesn't seem like a sustainable model when you're going to the transfer portal. Uh, I give the guy credit, but, boy, that's an awful lot of money. Well, Bows, I think it's risk assessment, right? So if you're mm -hmm. Michigan State, that is athletic department, and you're worried about this coach taking a peek around college football, either this offseason or the next one, how do you fix that? You have a known commodity in Mel Tucker right now. He's demonstrated in two years that it, you know he can get a team going. There is absolutely a risk that this, you know, can he continue this? Is he going to have 10, 11, 12 win seasons? Uh, every year for the next nine, 10 years, allegedly, as long as his contract runs. I, I find that hard to believe for any coach in America, especially in the Big Ten right now, maybe outside of Ohio State with the way things are going right now. But, you know, I, I think it's just something that's part of the deal in college football. You have to do this. And the money and the, the term of these contracts can be appalling to us fans and go, wow, how, is that, how in the world does that happen? But, you know, you can look around the rest of college football. If, if you're a Texas fan right now, how you feeling? Um, yeah. You know, after your school just spent what 24, 25 million dollars to get rid of the previous coach, and now your next coach has lost four or five games in a row, you're probably pulling your hair out, the frustration yeah. out of there. And so it, it's easy for us fans to get wrapped up with how much money the school is spending on these coaches. Um, but if you're the athletic director and you're looking around college football, you're going to start all over again. You're going to try to go find someone else that uh, can do what Coach Tucker has done so far. And how do you know that's going to be the case? So, you know, I can shake my head and go, wow, that is a bit of a risk. But I can at least understand why they're doing it, because so far, so good for Coach Tucker at Michigan State. He's done a good job. Yeah, one out of two years anyway. There's no question about it. And I give everybody a pass for last year, I'll be honest. Uh, and yeah. clearly, in hindsight, that was a, uh, that'll be an asterisk year. And it is what it is. So uh, with COVID, it doesn't, it doesn't give you any excuses for losing. But... Clearly, there was something off and uh, not playing in front of crowds. I mean, it was it's, it's different. There's no doubt about it. Well, so. it was different. You know, it's an asterisk year for sure. Two and four was a total disaster. What yeah. I will never forget about that year was watching Michigan teams quit on the agree. field before the game ended. That part will, will forever baffle me. But Unacceptable. I, yep. In the past, it's over. Clearly, that thing is gone. That vibe is gone. That 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 bad chemistry in the room is gone. And so uh, uh, this year, this team, night and day difference. Yep, no doubt. Uh, let's talk about Bo real quick. I remember talking to you in the car on the way down to Columbus. We were just young bucks then, skiing. Fifteen years went by in the blink of an eye. And uh, just tell me what you remember about the man and uh, who recruited you 
And, uh, and that feeling, I remember calling you, you were in tears and, and, uh, I completely understood. I think we all were stunned and, uh, you, but you knew him personally. Tell me the first time he came down to your house and, and what you remember about him. Well, I remember the first time I ever met him, uh, was actually at the Michigan football camp in Ann Arbor in the summer of 1987. Um, and of course at that time, you know, coach Bo was one of the biggest figures in all of college football. And I, and. I had grown up, you know, loving Michigan as a kid. And so for me to even get a chance to talk to him was an incredibly big deal. And I loved the school and loved everything about it at the time. And, and so, uh, you know, for the opportunity that was afforded to me um, to get to come to Michigan and play, you know, with that uniform in that stadium uh, for all the things that I had ever dreamed of doing as a kid, uh, I've said this, you know, throughout the course of my life, it was a dream come through true for me. I still value greatly the opportunity that was afforded to me and uh, I'll forever be grateful. I mean, this, this office I'm sitting in here, um, the career that I've had, the friendships and the relationships that I have to this day, um, I've been able to develop those things and maintain and hopefully improve those things because of what I learned while in that program and even after he left. And it was Coach Moeller and the same staff, but the lessons and the expectations and everything did not change. And so you you learn you learn to do things the hard way sometimes because it's the right thing to do. And so to this day, like I said, I still apply these these values and these lessons that I learned. And so for that, uh, anybody can say anything they want about the man, you know, after he's been gone all these years. But for me. And many of the teammates that, that I played with and many of the guys that, that preceded us who played their fur, full four or five years at Michigan, we will always love the man for the opportunity that he gave us. And, and for that, I'm, I'm forever indebted. And the second that he said that he offered you a scholarship, was it at the camp? You said, I'm your Huckleberry. I'm joining you. <laughs> yeah, it was, well, at that time, at that time, you know, recruiting was much, much different. And so, uh, you know, I, I was a kid from Texas, but I had roots here in Michigan. And, and you, you know, the commitments before your senior year were pretty unusual. So I, I, he offered me, I was sitting in his office, you know, right square in front of his desk there. And, and my, my mother was sitting to my left and my dad was sitting over my right shoulder in one of the couches there in Bo's office. And, and he offered what he said, a full grant and aid, which is what Bo called the scholarship at that time. And, and he said, you know, you go home and you think about it, whatever, and you, you let me know what you want to do. We can't sign anything yet, you know, until signing day, you know, a year from now. And I looked I looked at my mother, and she was just kind of looking at me like she'd seen a ghost. I looked over my shoulder at my dad. I think he had a tear coming down his cheek. And I, and I said, well, Coach, I want to do this right now. And he said, all right, well, we're going to stand up and we're going to shake hands, and it's over. You're coming to Michigan. There's, just, there's no doubt about it. So that, that's how it went. I stood up shook his hand and it was over. My recruiting had, had sort of beginning, had began years before, obviously, but, but it was over before my senior year. So it gave me, it gave me sort of the, the, the peace of mind knowing that my, my college path had already been chosen. I didn't have to worry about recruiting or the distraction of it uh, my last year of high school. So it was great. And I really appreciated that as well. And so I never looked back on it with any regrets. It was the greatest thing that I had an opportunity to do. I've said it before. It was it was a privilege for me to go to that school, wear that uniform, get to know the teammates to this day that I consider my brothers and my my, my love friends. 
And, uh, you know, we're all, we're all have our own story about Michigan. And some of them are similar. Some of them are very different. The place is not perfect, as we've learned here in the last year, that some things happened in the past that are not all that great, like many other institutions. And so, but it doesn't mean that uh, the value that we all learned and hopefully the, the, the value that we are bringing to our communities across the world today in which we all operate and live in are to be diminished because what happened was real. And we did things the way we did them and, and we think we did them the right way. And we hung championship banners and we're very proud of that because of what we did. And by the way, we worked our absolute tails off. I mean, we grinded and got crushed by Mike Gittleson for five years. But what you learn along the way is all that hard work and that torture that you go through, that self-imposed self, uh, torture of all those workouts, when you're, when you're holding the trophy at the end of the season and you're a Big Ten champion and you've gotten over the mountain, it's a great feeling. And everybody's like, oh, well, Bo couldn't win the national championship and his record in the bowl games. It's, you know, it's hard to explain. It's bigger than that. Yeah, yep. it's disappointing that we didn't have the bowl record that everybody wanted us to have. And, you know, his bowl record is what it is. Who cares at this point? You know, when you when you go through that process and you come in as a freshman and you don't even know what you don't know and you leave there as a fourth or a fifth year senior and you've got this perspective and you've learned so much off the football field about yourself and how to get along with people and and be respectful and work hard and all this, the cliche things that we talk about that we all want for our kids, it, it changes your perspective on whether you won a football game or not. Yeah, and that was me by the way, wiping a tear when you were talking about your recruiting story because I do live vicariously through you. I was in school at the time when you guys were there and it was a lot of fun. Uh, there's no question about it. Plus you've got those five Big Ten championship rings. Just make sure when you die and your kid pawns them, he sells them as a set because they'll go for more money. That's my advice to him or her, whoever you decide to leave those two in your will. But uh, but that's great stuff, Skeen. I appreciate your time as always. We will talk to you after the game at Maryland. Uh, your prediction, I think they'd get out of there with a couple touchdown win, don't you? Yes, yeah. yes. I think Michigan's, Michigan's going to win this football game. Uh, we'll cross our fingers that we get out of there healthy, ascend, ascend into championship weekend against Ohio State, uh, but we got to take care of business against Maryland, go down there and do some things, and then we can get into the game that we've been waiting for, Ballas, for two years now. Two years right. we've been waiting to see how we measure up against the Buckeyes. It will be the greatest of challenges. It sure will. Thank you, Doug, and uh, we'll talk to you soon. All right. Go Blue.